Creepers, in this time of protest following the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, we, the Crypt Creepers podcast, stand in solidarity with Black Lives Matter and the families of those who have been hurt or killed by the state. We are absolutely opposed to the current policing paradigm and the white supremacy it represents. We want to be clear at Crypt Creepers that we are an anti-racist podcast. We believe that Black Lives Matter. We believe that police brutality is real. And we believe we live in a colonialist, racist state that needs to be fixed. If any of this is controversial or a problem for you, we kindly suggest that you unsubscribe and stop listening to our podcast. We need to provide material change and support. This is a time for action. We all need to get involved. The most direct way is to participate in protests. But maybe that isn't for you. There are organizations providing backup to protesters, supplies, water, logistical backup, if you will. And lastly, there's money. You can always donate. Right. Donate to your local Black Lives Matter. There are various mutual aid networks, bail funds. And we will provide a variety of links. And these are just suggestions. There are a lot of good people doing a lot of good work out there. In the long run, we need to hold our local and national politicians accountable. But we need to impact material change at this moment. This is not a time to remain insulated. Get involved. Get mad. Get political. This is working. Boils and Ghouls, you're listening to Crypt Creepers, the podcast where we turn tail and run away from the greatest horror anthology of our generation, Tales from the Crypt. I'm Mary Johnston, and this lily-livered coward with me is my brother, Thomas Johnston. How are you, Thomas? I'm fine. I'm fine. I get it. Yeah. Didn't always <laughs> so like I was horror like making, making, making personal comments. No, it's because you're- personal remarks. No, it's because you're personal yellow. Remarks. You know, like a coward, like not brave. Yeah, right. When I read this, when I first saw this as a title, I was like, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure. No, no, it was called Yellow. And they're like, no, no, it's from like Two-Fisted Tales. It's like Indiana Jones and stuff. And you're like, nope, still feel bad. Yep, I, that, that could really bad. go either way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I was relieved to find out that it literally was about um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's fine. Know, bravery and... Uh, and uh, and how unusual to have an episode where the title is completely 100% apropos of the content of the episode. I know. I'm just used to I'm used to approaching all the titles with such suspicion that I wasn't right. prepared. I wasn't prepared for something so straightforward. Yeah, like that. Yeah, you kind of think they all sound. They're all kind of like, uh, like, like mid '90s rock band uh, album titles, mm-hmm. just sort of evocative. Well, this is an over. This is a big episode, so we should probably get into it. Okay. Um, are you are you doing this because of the Douglases? Yeah, yeah, of course. Tell us about who's responsible for this episode. So this episode was directed by Robert Zemeckis. Have you heard of him? <laughs> Ooh? I am at this point quite tired of talking about Robert Smekas <laughs> in the context of this show. Yeah. Um, but he directed this guy, uh, took it out. So this episode was written by a number of people. Um, that's how you know it was good. Um, Gilbert Adler um, 
wrote it. He also wrote the Dead Weight episode uh, uh, from this season. Um, and he will go on to write nine more episodes. Um, he, though, seems to mostly work as a producer. He did Superman Returns um, as a producer, which was, of course, the movie from 2006. And also Constantine, you know, the uh, Keanu Reeves movie from, like, 2005. Um, this was also another writer was A.L. Katz, K-A-T-Z, who has a name that sounds like it would be a joke on Categorical Oracle. Yep. Um, but he critically was a writer on or was the writer on Bordello of Blood and also did some Outer Limits episodes. And then um, two brothers, Jim Thomas and James Thomas, who wrote who collaborated on Predator, like the good one, mm. um, Wild Wild West, the good one. <laughs> no, no, no. Wild Wild West and also Executive Decision. Um, what's funny is that uh, on IMDb, they're, they're, you know, of course, separate entries. And their trivia section just says, is the brother of James Thomas? And no <laughs> further comment is made. You know, like, Jim Thomas is the brother of James Thomas. Hyperlink. Brother of James. Right. Son of Paul. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, right. Um, in terms of the cast, this, again, is a little bit like the Robert Zemeckis thing. Kirk Douglas is <laughs> in this episode as uh, General Carthrob. Carthrob. Um, Spartacus himself is in this. Am I the only person who sometimes gets confused as to whether Kirk Douglas or Charlton Heston played a character? Is that or is that just me? Do you do you sometimes have that oh, happen? I can see that. I yeah, can see that. they're just they're just kind of the same sort of like shouty man from the fifties. <laughs> Although Kirk Douglas has that insane dimple in his. I know, chin. I know, I know. Like a like a dimple you could take a shooter of gazpacho out of. Okay, but to be fair, in a lot of the memorable Charlton Heston roles, he has a big beard when he's Moses, when he is whatever the guy's name is from Planet of the Apes. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, there's no way that Kurt would uh, Kirk would ever cover up that dimp. Yeah, well, I mean, he's if not he growing did, a beard. The, the, be- the phony beard would just get swallowed up. Yeah, I mean, there's not enough hair to fill that crevasse in his face. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. But okay, um, Eric Douglas uh, is in this episode. He is in fact Kirk Douglas's son, and he is Michael Douglas's half brother. Um, he is sort of the like under, by his own admission, sort of the underachieving Douglas child. And uh, the only really he was in, he was in a few movies kind of before this, but the one that the only one that really stuck out to me was he was in the Golden Child, the um, the Eddie Murphy movie. Uh, and um, he unfortunately um, uh, uh, died several years ago, um, probably from stuff related to alcoholism and substance abuse. So I think he probably had a sort of rough go of it, um, but apparently made made some strides later in his life with uh, doing stand up comedy about being sort of the underachieving brother. So he at least kind of seemed to keep his sense of humor. Also, throughout this episode, I kept being like, he looks like somebody. Who does he look like? And I figured it out. It's not the answer is not is not Michael Douglas. It's he kind of looks like Chris Hardwick. Um, like you kind like of a na- lot. You like nailed it. Like I don't even think yeah. I know who Chris Hardwick is, but yes, that is correct. Yeah. Well, you don't need to know. He's, he's I think he's canceled now, or at least he should be. Oh, um, he is. What he yeah, do? He had a um, there was a ex girlfriend. Yeah, I think it was ex girlfriend who sort of like revealed that he was horrible and controlling and like you know one of these. One of these shaming, shaming her about about weight and like don't talk to other men sort of things. So seems like a real fun guy. Um, speaking of fun guys, Lance Henriksen is in this episode as Sergeant Ripper. 
He was uh, Bishop in Aliens. He's the head redneck vampire in Near Dark. He's in The Terminator. He's in The Quick and the Dead. He's in Hard Target. Did you recognize him as Reno in Cutting Cards? I didn't. Yeah, huh. he's so he's he's of course the cowboy gambler, um, and he, he's just like uh, he's one of these guys who dis, just disappears into roles, kind of like Gary Oldman. You, you know, you know what I mean, though, where you're just kind of like, oh yeah, wait, all these people are the same person. I think he's 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 pretty he's pretty rad, or and like, I think does a really good job of this episode too. Agreed, or um, you know, like Marcus from the Indiana Jones series disappears. Oh, <laughs> you'll never see him again. Um, and then Dan Aykroyd kind of strangely <laughs> is in this episode in a completely unfunny role. <laughs> Just the, like the a ultimate waste. Stu- this is the ultimate stunt casting. <laughs> it, it, it It's, and like, I don't mean to be overly critical, but this role could be played by like literally anyone. Like he's sort of a glorified extra. Yeah, no, he doesn't, and he doesn't do a thing with it. Like there's no right. choices made. I, I think like to think this is because maybe Kirk Douglas can only like uh, interact directly with members of his family and people who are above a like a baseline of fame. Maybe at this point, right? Like the, this was like this had to be like stunt casting to appease his like his like yes. manic um, his his manic crazy rider. Right, right. Like I, I like the idea that maybe Kirk Douglas is like surrounded by by sort of an orbiting. Uh, crew of lesser fame ad- identifiably famous people that he uses to interact with the world. Yeah. But yeah, so that that's that's and then and then like a thousand extras and stunt men were also in this episode. Yeah, yeah. It's World War 1 and deep in the trenches, General Carthrob has found out Lieutenant Martin Carthrob who is also his son, is too scared to shoot Germans and his cowardice has led to brave soldiers' deaths. General Carthrob orders that Martin should be put to death by a firing squad, but privately tells Martin that it's only for appearances, assures him that the guns will not be loaded, and he only needs to pretend to die bravely to make his father proud. Ultimately, is blood thicker than the communal water swigged from an army canteen? We're going to find out. The answer is no, apparently. No, it's not. No. Apparently not. Because otherwise it's not horrific at all. Except like maybe you're <laughs> only only if you're like very, very rule abiding. You're like, can't believe he saved his son. Wow. <laughs> That's a super funny thing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> other than the plot is like general does nepotism. <laughs> Gen- general feels feels uh, a great amount of sympathy and pity for own child. Incompetent yeah. military officer not held responsible for death and mayhem he caused. I can't imagine a world where that would be true. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so, what are the uh, what are the morals and or, or themes that we wanna that we wanna highlight here? Okay, again, I again have Patent, my classic patented three. Class three, the first one. Your grand slam <clears throat> themes, right. if you right. will. <laughs> One and more I egg that would be will. in a Grand Slam breakfast. Yeah. One more egg that would be in a Grand Slam breakfast. Uh, one short sausage link and or bacon strip. Right. The number of dollars it costs to add a hearty sausage to your meal. At yeah. Denny's. Here, here's my question. Who only wants two strips of bacon? Yeah. 
Well, especially because I feel like most of these diners, they're not, it's not like thick butcher bacon. It's like that skinny, thin. Yeah, it's like a classic, classic diner bacon. Like what would you put on, what would most people would put on a burger? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying, I, li- I like I like a good butcher butcher bake. Tom's like, I like a, a butch fa- bake. Are you saying you're like I like a f- <laughs> hang me on the cross for liking a fancy bacon. <laughs> Doesn't even have to be fancy. It's just like eating like four pieces at once. <laughs> I just want a bunch of bacon's all mashed together. <laughs> I want whatever whatever the version of like like if 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 diner bacon is fun size bacon. I want the giant size, the giant size candy bar they only sell in gas stations version well, of bacon. Well, s- stay tuned, folks, because I'm going to spring another question on Thomas. Retoast in a little bit, because <laughs> we're combining breakfast and World War One into one right. fun slurry. Hit me, hit me with your themes. <laughs> so, okay, my first one is the sins of the father, something or another. <laughs> is the yeah, first yeah. one. Yeah. Fathers okay. and sons and sons. <laughs> sons. <laughs> Fathers and sons and sins and feathers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> the second one is the true bravery is being a coward. Whoa. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then also, let's not worry about all those guys that Lieutenant Martin Carthrob got killed by being an incompetent coward. <laughs> yeah. For, for, for real. Um,. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, like, I think, like, ultimately, this is a story about, like, expectations. Oh, yeah, yeah, and, and like, the, the, the like, being pushed into things by your distant and uncaring father, and then feeling like he, does, he doesn't love you, but maybe you would like to have his approval, but you can't help but be a drunk and right. get, get the get well, event in your this, command killed. This entire, this entire, like, th- so this is a tragedy, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I would argue it's more of a tragedy than it is a horror story yes. but it's tra- it's tragedy and the entire thing is set up because the expectation like so expectations drove Martin and and, and per- per- potentially just perceived expectations drove Martin to join the military when he really shouldn't have right mm-hmm. so he shouldn't yeah. have been in this position at all lives were lost because he had to maintain those expectations which are unfair right mm-hmm. and then the the father it feels like his hand is forced to to, to like <laughs> to to strike his son's death sentence because there's expectations placed on him as a general to do that sort of thing. Right. So yeah. it's all it's 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 sad. It's and that is why it is tragic because at the end yeah. of the day, none of that stuff is meaningful the same way the bonds the familial bonds should be. Like those are just constructs. Yes. Yes. None of this matters more than the fact that, like, they're family. Like, that's crazy. I mean, okay, sure. But also, if, like, hear me out here. If the, because he doesn't sentence his son to death. He just allows the military court-martial to proceed and sentence his son to death. So if the normal punishment for what his son did is death, then... I mean, like, yeah, this is why you should not be your own son's commanding officer. Yeah. But but all things being equal, is it just that, like, the tragedy is that he does not engage in nepotism and, in fact, provides this fig leaf of a lie to try and – which might be – it's monstrous, I guess, because Martin, like, realizes it's a lie at the last minute mm-hmm. um, and then is cartoonishly blown out of his boots. 
Yeah, sort of a rare, a rare misstep in the sort of visual language of this episode. It's true. Um, Th- that was silly. I do the the way he finds out is because his father drops his gaze, which yeah, I think is yeah. like ultimately is to show that his father is a little bit of a coward too. You know. I, I, sure, but yeah, I, I agree with you. Which is a just, cool, just, which is a cool moment. Of, yeah, which is, yeah, no, but no, it's, it's I know, a great moment. I know what but you're to getting keep, at. But to keep my sort of like a-hole read here is like, yeah, he's not brave enough to watch his son be shot in front of him. Well, <laughs> what a coward. He's not brave enough to actually like deal yeah, with right, the yeah. realities of what he has done. Right. Sure, sure, sure. No, 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 for sure. I'm just saying, though, that like in some sense, like, I mean, if if Mar- if what Martin did is, is truly deserving of death, then he I, within the like weird rules and regulations of of world war one american expeditionary force he deserves to die yeah maybe my feeling on it was so court-martialing basically just means that there is a jury of one who is your superior officer and they get to decide what happens to you right in this in this i feel like it was sort of implied that there were that there were three the three the the tribunal are the people who actually make the judge but yeah it's it's i mean it's basically the way the military handles justice and it's Perhaps yeah. not quite so delicate as, uh, you know, because they're usually making. Well, you don't have a jury of your peers. I think that the right. idea of yeah, court yeah, marshalling yeah, right, is right. that there are, there, are officers, there are officers who make this decision. Officers and, make the decision for you. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I feel like there's also kind of like artificial. There's there's some artifice there as well. Like. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. The, of course. The concept of that. Um, would you agree that different wars, the way we, fe- first of all, this is like a very easy, we feel different things about different wars and media reflects those feels and cultural yeah, h- perceptions. hundred percent, hundred percent. Does this feel also, this is a kind of a tricky question because I feel like America doesn't really have, like we certainly don't have like a handle on World War One the way like the Brits do. Sure, sure, yeah. For a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um I did, I did like, I read this article, which ultimately did not really help me so much with this, but it was very interesting nonetheless, which was basically like, yeah, if you look at art, like art in Europe changes dramatically after World War One. Art in America, not so much. Sure, <laughs> it's, sure. So it's kind of interesting. So at the time, it certainly didn't so much communicate with its media. But... Um, well, I mean, but, and, and that makes sense. We we had far less loss of life. Our countries weren't dead. I mean, like the yeah, you know, we, the trenches weren't dig being mile dug. long trenches in, yeah, across our farmland. Correct. So, like, yeah, it made it makes sense why that that would be. But um, but I do still think we have like kind of a cultural perception here, and I think that this is like a, a pretty American take on World War One, and. Yeah. Uh, and definitely, we definitely um, World War II and the Vietnam War have a media personality of their own. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yes, I, I am raring to talk about this. Yeah, so let's just get into it. So, d- d- first of all, yeah. does this feel does this feel right for World War One? Does it make sense to tell this story about World War One compared to either of the other more personality filled wars? I would say yes. Um, so, of course, right? Kirk Douglas is in this. He is in a role sort of doing a reverse Paths of Glory. Have you seen that movie, the Stanley Kubrick movie Stanley about the Kubrick. French? Stanley Kubrick, yeah, that movie French, is you know, right. very I good. Th- and I feel like this whole thing is like a tip of the hat to that a little bit, where it's kind it, of like, instead absolutely. of defending the men from being shot for well, cowardice, do you remember, he's the one doing the shooting. <laughs> and do you remember, so right, so that's the case. So like Kurt Douglas yeah. is like a colonel, I think. 
in Passive Glory. I think that's right. Colonel Drax, right? Drax. Yeah. And yeah, he, like yeah. it is like, it is explicitly an anti-war story and is explicitly yeah. about um, ambition and power and what mm-hmm. that does to people in the military. So, yeah. so like, Kurt Douglas is like, is this colonel and there are these two generals that are in charge of his, his group, right? And... Mm-hmm. One of them is like this sadistic, like puppet master guy, and this other guy is like this bootlicking toady. And basically, because of the the manipulation of the sadistic guy, they the the toady guy agrees that Dax's group is going to go over and basically go on this like big suicide mission. And when it fails. They decide that it's because the men are cowardly and they have to pick three men to die. Mm-hmm. And all of the picks are corrupt. Like one guy gets picked. I can't remember if it's because he's gay or if he's because he's like Italian or something, but he's a social undesirable, <laughs> quote unquote. Is he gay or like is he Portuguese? I mean, who I don't knows? know. Yeah, I don't quite remember that. But he's like, a little he's, too Greek acting. If he's you know what I'm pi- he's picked. And then like another guy is picked because... Um, because he he recognized the toady's uh, cowardice in the actual moment of going over the wall, so he has to die, right? Sure, And sure. then the third guy is just picked at random because they don't know how else to pick. Like, they can't yeah. make a choice. And they pick the guy who's, like, won, like, multiple, as multiple honorary for bravery. And then... Uh, and Dax is like, I will defend these people in a court-martial situation, but they still die anyway. And it's just all about like dispo- how like troops are viewed as disposable yeah. pawns to their generals, and like everything well, and about the situation is unjust and unfair. And when, like when the first group gets totally decimated, then the generals want to like order the artillery to shoot to like shell their own trenches to make the guys get out, and like yep. it's like the bleakest thing. Yeah, it's very <laughs> it good. Really it's is. it's very good. Like if you really wanted to have a a, a whiz bang time, you'd watch this in the dark yeah, yeah, yeah. strange it's- love back to back. <laughs> Oh my gosh! I've never thought about that. Would be a heck of a double bill. <laughs> yeah, but like they they communicate. I think really well with each other. Um, yeah, Paths of Glory yeah. is early, early, early Kubrick yeah. too. Yeah, is, yeah. I think it precedes um, uh, Spartacus. Oh, I don't know. I think he did this movie with Kurt Douglas because, or he did Spartacus with Kurt Douglas. He worked with him on Paths of Glory. I'm gonna oh, confirm okay. that. Yeah, look it up. Yeah. So anyway, but no, so I think, so right, with that in mind, World War One is like usually like framed as the sort of lo- the proverbial like lions led by donkeys where like the men are brave and they're like swarming around like ants and like they're using tactics that are bad or they're being put in impossible situations. I feel like this is the ultimate suicide mission kind of war because it's not heroic. It's just like terrible. And we have enough sort of like emotional and temporal distance from it that we can be like, yeah, and everybody, those people at the top were just terrible and they don't know. You think about like the way that they show, um, uh, we talk about the PTSD here, the shell shock, um, but it's not, it's not so much like shown as like a personal thing. It's just like this terrible thing that happened to people. Um, You know, I think about like the way they show the, um, the men who have been crippled in the war in chariots of fire or, um, uh, kind of the way that they have the characters in Boardwalk Empire talk about their experiences in World War One, but like we kind of have this—it's a—it's a war where the individual is ground up by the communal push for the war, and it's usually people, um, you know. Um, uh, and I realize a lot of the media I'm referencing is British, but I think that's that by makes the sense. Of it. That's, that's where most of, of it is. Yeah, like Blackadder goes forth is 
is probably technically the best, but also a little bit maudlin about war. And there's this idea of like, we just had a war because nobody could think to not have like sort of it's this idea of just like, why are we here? There's no reason. Everybody in charge are careerist aristocrats. And now all of us are going to die. You know, and, and and in the most brutal way possible, because even though, like, of course, guys were like blown up with shells and stuff, but like it, it really it's like the war where people are just like shot in mass with guns and machine guns or it feels like that's the kind of war it is. And there's that feeling. Um, <laughs> and then I think there's sort of a through line here. World War Two is like the last good war. Right. It's the last time we had a, for Americans that we had a war where we're like, no, we're definitely the good guys and there's no moral ambiguity here. Like, even things like Saving Private Ryan, which shows that the heroes executing capped, like, prisoners, like, committing war crimes, that still ends with a misty-eyed man saluting a gravestone and thanking him for, you know, this sort yeah. of, you know. Well, even the tragedies of war's, war are, are wallpapered over with, like, camaraderie. And, right, it was somehow and, all worth it. And pride and, like, the knowledge that we were the goodies. Yeah. Right. Our segregated military fought and beat the Nazis, saving the Jewish people just in time for the veterans to not let those same Jewish people into their country clubs. Yep. It's that word. But, but it's sort of a everyone pulling together love of country. It's the individual subsumed to the collective, but in like the good way, <laughs> you know, right. And and we have all these larger than life generals, all of whom we think were great. You know, we never talk like you never talk about like Patton as being this like weird careerist glory hound or how um, Douglas Douglas MacArthur like was was pr- pr- like like kind of lost touch with reality and was 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 a complete egomaniac and how he wanted to utilize nuclear bombs in Korea and how Harry Truman had to sort of relieve him of command. Like, you know, we never talk about that. They were just all geniuses and everything went great. And and even though Patton slapped that guy who had PTSD in the movie, it was all worth it. Um, and then so then we have Vietnam, which is like the war. That we're, we're, the war where suddenly it's like okay to not be on board with it, we get to question it. It becomes the individual becomes more paramount. Like, how do you feel about this war? And it's it's so much a feeling and a genre that even stuff that is not in Vietnam is about Vietnam. Like, right, like Mash, right, is supposed to be during the Korean War, but it's definitely about Vietnam. And mm-hmm. Catch Twenty Two, which was written before Vietnam, also has that Vietnam feel to it, where it's kind of like, what are we even doing here, man? You know. Um, so in this, I think you get sort of an individual versus the government um, if you but 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 also you can have the horrors of communism. So you have like totalitarian government too. you have a big interest in PTSD. What is the individual soldier's response to the war, to the terrible things they are made to see and do? And then you kind of get this idea, which I think is kind of neat and maybe a little bit precious, like and, and not not not, not I, I say this completely in artist. Where there's this idea that, like, the real patriotic thing to do is to not support the war. And that's that's a van. That's that's such a vanishing thing in our culture. Like, yeah, that's not, not, not a, that's being not on a, board. That's not a thing post 9-11, pretty much. Right. Right. And that's why I think so. Right. So I think the Vietnam War era continues on through, you know, uh, uh, through the 80s where we have like the suddenly it's about, you know, you have like movies about Navy SEALs and macho men shooting up things. But we still sort of have this skepticism about military adventurism, maybe. And then and then 9-11 happens. And now we're in the war on terror era, which I think is another its whole era of film. I would submit we have things like American Sniper and the Hurt Locker, 
um, as examples. You know, um, Zero Dark Thirty is kind of like that. Whatever that goofy Afghanistan movie where the guys are riding horses and calling in airstrikes and stuff. And I think there's like this there's this obsession with operators, with the competent individual. All of our soldiers are hyper competent, almost supermen. Um, the troops are good. The government is. Don't worry about it. The government is not bad. It's just it's just whatever. It's almost Certainly, a non-entity. Yeah, right. It's it's it. We have the individual has become the totality of the war such that we have to show things like how did Chris Kyle feel about 9-11, you know, and um, uh on the other end of the political spectrum, and these these guys are not fictional, but I think sort of still in, in this sort of pop culture understanding of the war. Pat Tillman, right, the the uh, that the football player who was who was killed by friendly fire, and Bo Bergdahl, the guy who like wandered off his or like deserted or wandered the, off. His the part, subject of serial season serial two, two, which right, right, nobody right. listened to because it was too boring. Right, right. But all of this, we still. It's what did they think? What were their feelings? How did they? What was? It's never like, you know, we never talk about like, what are the systems that made us get here? Or you might wonder why we're even stuck in here. What was it that caused? No, it's just about the guys. What did the guys do? Who? You know, how did they feel? What happens to them? We also somehow usually the guys are underdogs, which is hilarious when you when you think about like what the state, you know, what the stakes are and how the war on terror has been waged. But frequently it'll be kind of a, you know, all of us Navy SEALs are surrounded by a million Taliban. You know, the, the, we sort of have that feeling. We culturally, I think, kind of have that feeling, too, where we just feel like we're surrounded by enemies all the time and almost like that's maybe useful to someone uh, in charge of us. Mm-hmm. But I but but I think I think we see this as sort of a move from the col- a, a steady continuum of the collective to the individual. And uh, I think and, and I think you that's can really, slot that's really different interesting. War movies in there. That's really interesting. I kind of I guess had always written off a lot of what because like we're not really we're not even really yet no no disrespect and i certainly have not i i am very interested in war films i'm very interested in war media i have not really engaged with the uh, with the current war sure, media sure. to the to, to to i have done my due dill right sure 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 but it's i have kind of always written it off as being sort of in the um uh world war 2 chess beating like sure. patriotism yeah. Parade, but it didn't occur to me. World War Two movies are always about buddies. They're always mm-hmm. about like, and there's always like some guy who's like sort of like an angelic figure who dies, and it's very sad and things like that. But it's 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 there's always of, some dude whose name is Brooklyn who's from Brooklyn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're very stand by me in that way. Like it's like a like yeah. a group of men that you get to know and like you feel for it. But you're right. Like the the other movies, uh, that is a that is a marked difference from where we are now. Now it's mm-hmm. now it seems to be more about like specific individuals and individualism, which is weird. Yeah, which is really yes, weird. Like the lo- maybe I mean maybe it's tapping into some of the loneliness of this, which we inherit from the Vietnam War films. Vietnam War sure, films are sure. almost entirely yeah. About, it's always about like a guy or yeah. Well, or like it's about like groups, but they they don't have like it's a rejection of um, that camaraderie mm-hmm. because sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. they are people who are getting systematically dehumanized by what they're experiencing, and it's sort of weird that. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, something I know about, I notice about World War um, One movies, and maybe it's because of trench warfare in general, but I think it also has to do with um, the trauma of it. So the trauma of World War One is 
is definitely is definitely about yeah like like uh like the troops are good people but they're treated like they're nothing but it's it's the trauma of being cannon fodder right and yeah, like watching yeah. i mean my, most of my exposure to world war 1 is through world war 1 poetry which i'm very into um and there so there's like poems about like this guy wa- like kind of like coming to terms like the existential dread of being in a situation while you're also watching like the guy who was standing next to you three weeks ago up in a tree slowly rotting because he was thrown there by a cannon. Like, yeah. um, But what's interesting about World War One is that very rarely do they address directly the enemy. Like, the enemy mm-hmm. is almost an unseen force, generally. Maybe it's because they're sure. all in trenches for most of it. Like, most of the I mean, action. I mean, I, actually, I remember, remember there's that movie, what's it called, Noel? about the Christmas truce where, like, all the soldiers, like, came out and played soccer and stuff Yeah, for Christmas. Yeah, pretty much the only time... <laughs> they're just like, we, I mean, we're just doing our jobs, man. Industrial yeah, human slaughter. Pretty much the only time we talk about the enemy, I was going to get to that, is is that Christmas truce story. Like, that's yeah, when yeah. we talk about, like, these people meeting face-to-face. And I assume it has to do with the fact that, like, there really wasn't... Like, you're not... They weren't... They were embedded in their own countries. Like, it wasn't... You weren't... There was no like small town where you can go and meet a girl who's the op- from the opposite side. Like that stuff is very, very World sure, War yeah, II. Yeah, you're all very Vietnam. And dug in. Yeah, and Vietnam yeah. is like entirely about alienation of Americans who are so used to being like dominant, being mm-hmm. in a space that they can't have any control over. But like, yeah. um, but but I think that maybe is why a lot of World War One media turns back in on itself towards its commanding officers because like yeah they are the people who are telling you to go out and get shot by a bunch of faceless people, mm-hmm. and instead now in our uh, in in the current like current war on terror movies we have to draw the enemy as being this big force and like really detail them out because then we direct our hatred towards them right sure. And, you know, and right, like the audience, uh, unlike nobody, I don't think anybody who's alive now remembers when Franz Ferdinand was shot. Right. But everybody, I mean, you know, everybody above a certain age remembers 9-11. And so, sure. you know, you can identify with the soldiers because they have the same lived experience that you do. Right. Unlike World War One. But it's like the historical difference and things like uh, World War Two, we come out looking pretty good in the historical context, um, you know, such that uh, to uh, certainly to the extent that. Um, you know, uh, it, be- it becomes like a kind of um, like a gotcha thing to be like, did you know that really, you know, we were doing embargo, we were doing oil embargoes on the Japanese and like goading them into war. It wasn't quite what you what you think. Right, and, you know, right, and that's right. that's an amazing thing. But um, for the most part, you know, we were kind of we we were on the side of the angels for the most, you know. Right. Even the very even the quote unquote very bad thing we did, which we definitely did like. <laughs> Like, like dropping nukes, like, yeah. people are like, well, they had to do that to end the war. It had right. to happen. That's what right. had and to happen. And you're like, well, right. I mean. We did that, them a favor. I, I, that, yeah. that is, that is yeah. like, one of the worst things we could, that, that can happen in war, right? That the, well, and, and to be fair, though, that is also that is also a decision that we have owned as a, as, as a country, as a people, as a nation. This isn't like, you know, we still that, that people still fight about to what degree atrocities happened in Vietnam, to what degree... That's you know, true. Um, you know, or even stuff like, did the hippies really spit on the troops when they came home? We got to make sure that never happens, even if it maybe never happened at all. Yeah. You know, we, 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 it's, it's still too raw, which is an unusual thing to think about, given, given how far away it was actually now. 
Yeah. We still haven't really reckoned with it, I don't think. I think it was just such a, I mean, I've, I've studied the Vietnam War um, mm. uh, in an academic situation and like the, the, I've taken classes and I think it was just like such, like nobody was prepared for the amount of media, of real media coverage, sort of like Vietnam is sort of like our World War One, like, uh-huh. Like World War One, except World War One was weird because like the media really didn't cover. From what I can tell, right, right. the but- media really didn't cover it, and so instead you would have these soldiers that like could conceivably go home and have like Sunday dinner with their families and then go back to the trenches again. No, and, but, like- sure. but the, the reality and the atrocity of war was forced on the people to in, in like a. Right. To a degree that we right. that had they, not before. Right. And we were not prepared. We were simply not prepared for it. The civilians weren't prepared for it. The government right. wasn't prepared for it. And the troops weren't prepared for it. And it just it's it's like this big open wound that's never healed mm-hmm. up. Right. Um, because like all that stuff also happened during World War One or and, mm-hmm. uh, and World War Two and every war we've ever fought. Like, sure. Like, sure. S- Soldiers have been have been slaughtering people, innocent people, and raping people, and setting right. villages ablaze for kind of no reason for like a really long time. We just like it's like we just like found out about it. Yeah, right, right, right. And at some point historically, it also became not okay to like brag. Like you know, if you were a as as Dan Carlin on Hardcore History would say, you know, if you were a if you were a Sumerian king, you you'd be building building erecting pylons and writing plaques that say we were here we raped these people we burned down their city we salted their fields do not mess with us yeah proud you you know ashamed of it no we're proud of it what are you talking about what do you think war is for right and and that probably has a lot to do with the with the baggage we have from world war ii which is of course that all those men also and women but fewer definitely fewer of them um had have horrible ptsd too but like there was no there was no like because we were the goodies right there wasn't really the room for that dialogue where you can be like well you know what actually it was really horrible like watching people i knew and cared for die sure it was really sure. horrible the fact that i had to kill people like uh-huh. so yeah. we kind of like wallpapered over it and then so i think that 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 wallpaper we thought that that was the the, the soldiers and the government certainly thought that that was what was going to happen with the vietnam war as well and then it didn't happen and it was like this big um betrayal almost mm-hmm. that we weren't yeah. that we weren't that we weren't allowed to be the winners mm-hmm. yeah right uh which almost makes you wonder is that in fact the generation that everyone that's mad that everyone didn't get a trophy <laughs> i don't know oh man oh man yeah <laughs> no yeah. I, I i horrible no no but yeah anybody but, who fight any any person who fight who is a, a a soldier like they have to do horrible things and it's awful yeah. It's it's oh, chilling to Combat think about. Combat veteran, sure, sure, sure. It's yeah, chilling it's to think a, about. Sure. So yeah, so yeah, so anyway, so sure, this feels like World War One media. Although, as you as you ably point out, although also this seems like exactly the kind of story you would have to tell about World War One because this would feel really out of place for World War Two. For Vietnam, it seems a little bit earnest. This like World War One also feels like the perfect war for when people would be like shot by firing squad for cowardice. Like the bad stuff, the bad stuff we associate with Vietnam is 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 not this. It's no, it's not- it's corruption and like and like yeah, or the it's like, rotting, yeah, it's, the right. rotting of the human spirit and becoming like hedonistic monsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah becoming like monstrous. Yeah, right. It, the horror, the horror, 
General Kurtz. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And and nobody involved in the war on terror would ever run away because they're all they're all, you know, double double army ranger uh Navy SEALs. Who, <laughs> they're uh, also like wearing like seventy pounds of equipment. They can't run. Right. All uh, arm, but but no, but 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 you know, but even even stuff you know, that it's it, we have to believe that our operators are hyper competent. Yeah. So they would never run away. We certainly would never shoot anybody for, and even the way like the whole Bo Bergdahl thing is handled, you know, like who is somebody who is maybe the closest thing to a modern day sort of like shot for cowardice sort of case that you can imagine. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right. I yeah. Oh oh, just one other thing. We also do you remember ten years ago? No, do you remember in the relatively early days of the Trump presidency when uh, Donald Trump was uh, had to take some phone call about a um, with a bereaved family of a I think it was a seal or something who who died doing some like on some sort of like off the books government mission in Africa, and he accidentally or he said something like, "Well, he knew the risk. He knew what he was signing up for to them," <laughs> which is the thing where you say the quiet part loud by accident. Yeah, I think as as our military becomes Which I think more is professionalized, like the, the theme of this year, right? Yeah, uh, and yeah. and right, and I think about that because I think about um, now if we want to be overly dramatic or like English majors uh, writing papers, what about the way we talk about the troops? Like in the last couple months, when essential workers become troops, you go to a hospital, they have stuff signs outside that say stuff like "Healthcare heroes work here," mm-hmm. and the people who are providing medical care in, you know, in, in subpar conditions, you know, they don't have the PPE they need. They don't have the tools and equipment they need. But we also say, what do we also say to them? We say, well, they knew the risks. They knew what they were signing up for. Because I guarantee you that when you're in nursing school, nobody tells you that maybe you're not going to have appropriate masks and you will be expected to fight a viral pandemic that no one really understands. That's not, they did not know what they were. And no soldier knows what, no, 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 no serviceman knows what he's signing up for How either like that. Well, but and why does and why did Trump say that to those people? Like what 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 is the purpose? What is the Because he's a thundering dickhead. <laughs> he's a thundering dickhead. But like but like why okay, but also why yes, 100%. But why why do we say that about healthcare workers. Why oh, do you yeah. say that it's, about it's, grocery store workers? Because we know that it's very possible that they're going to die. Yeah, yeah. And we want to feel better about that. We want them to un- we want to pretend that everybody everybody in this situation who is putting themselves very directly on the line in the line of fire has like has come to an existential place where they are okay with their own death. Like that, they mm-hmm. have like transcended it. So when they die, we don't have to be too sad about it. That's crazy. Right. I think that's very apropos because the last thing I want to talk about is, you know, with it's all the hullabaloo that's been happening in our cities. I don't know the if troubles? anybody's noticed. Right, the trouble. Yeah, I mean, he's making light of no, but um, but right, the police, and we sort of have these. I. This is a little bit of a misuse, but I think it sounds good. We have these militarized casts of people, and I, they're not really casts because this really isn't, you know, we don't, we don't live in the, the Indian subcontinent or something like that. But where you have these sort of pockets of people who know the risks, know what they're signing up for, and are sort of held to a different standard, maybe, or are told that they are separate and different from society, or they are the people who make society go, Um Generally, they're people with jobs that involve badges, police officers, EMS guys, firefighters. 
um, that that it is useful for society to kind of detach themselves from these people a little bit to hold hold them at arms like so we don't have to feel sad when bad things happen or so we don't have to feel so weird about when they do bad things you can again you can imagine right like if 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 covid continued forever and then like being a grocery clerk was like being a SWAT team officer or you know working in an ER was like being in a war zone it, you would sort of see this this weird esprit de corps this and that's I think we are nationally having a debate about whether that is a useful decision or if that is a bad decision. <laughs> that at least explains um, that at least explains why people uh, are getting so upset about it. Sure, sure. <laughs> like, because that is a useful tool to a lot a lot of people in power mm-hmm. um, yeah. to be able to be like, well, they knew the risks. And and yeah. excuse and excuse themselves from feeling feels about the fact that they have they they have caused another human being to die, right? And also that you can, you can give those people orders. They knew the risks. They they knew the job when they were signing up. Bust this man's head open. You know what I mean? Like right? Like yeah. that that or or where it's like, you know, it is not safe for anybody to grocery shop unless you work for Instacart, where you knew the risks. And you, I mean, I'm. Not trying to make light of it, but you know what I mean, where it's kind of like no one should be out grocery shopping right now because they might get a disease unless it's your job, in which case it's fine because, you knew you're trading your time for money. Yeah. Hop hop in that store. <laughs> you know, get in there. Everyone needs a mask unless their job unless their job decides they don't. <laughs> you knew the risks. Yeah. yeah um, it's just it's just rough. It's rough. It's a it's a it's it's hard. It's a hard state of affairs. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I think that I think that anything we can do to remove those societal tools that consistently conscript people to um, put their butts on the line um, to benefit the ruling class is a is a good thing to do. (laughs) It's a good thing to do. Like the only we only stand to profit if they lose Mm -hmm. in this regard. Right. Um, yeah. And also, and also, if we stop, if we stop thinking about uh, grocery clerks and police officers and medical professionals as this as a kind of a big specialized group that it's okay if they do bad things or they do good things, we really only do the one the bad thing thing for yeah. the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe some medical professionals, but mostly cops. Um, yeah. Then we can sort of we can sort of start to get around this whole, well, they're good guys, but they're just bad apples. Because then truly we are just dealing with individuals and humans, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yeah. Right. Like and, and like and I don't they... I don't have to as a designer sit down and be like, now I know you might have worked with some bad designers, but like we're mostly good. <laughs> like yeah. we're mostly good. I never have to do that, even if people have worked with bad designers before. That's accepted. Sure. 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 Yeah. That's accepted. And, and I think. It, and I think if, pe- if people in in professions, jobs, whatever, um, uh, don't feel like they are separate from society, but rather are integrated and part of society. Um, also helpful. And that's helpful, too. That's also why I, and even even and you see that I feel like you see this in like history. History professors talk about this all the time, the, the way we transition from a conscript to prof- uh, to a volunteer professionalized military and just like the way that changed it. Um, you know, Vietnam was the last time we had draft. And so suddenly it sort of was everybody's business as opposed to, again, 
a hyper competent force of professionals. And you're like, well, I mean, they're just doing their job. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Which, never, you know, never, never mind that uh, a lot of our military is driven there because of poverty. Right. right yeah. No, no. And, and that's and that isn't yeah. that isn't that the insidious trap. Right. You know, right. You're we you're do not, have a draft. You're not just delivering pizza. Sure. You're not delivering pizza because you think it's super important during a viral pandemic to make sure that 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 cheesy goodness is delivered to people who need it. I mean, maybe there are people who feel that way, but for the most part, you're just doing it because you need the money. And that's yeah. why the whole you do the risks is such a such a like it's such BS. Yeah. You're like, no, you trapped me with capitalism, um, which yeah, is also like, true. Like, uh, Honestly, what we've done to the military is basically deciding we're like, no, 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 there is a draft, but it's just that if you're rich, you never right. have to worry about yeah, yeah. it. Do, do you want us to pretend that we're going to pay for college for you? <laughs> yeah. Do you want us right. to pretend that you will be that your family will always be taken care of? Whoops, they won't. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, so I have a question about this episode. Re all of that, actually. Sure. D- so in Paths of Glory... It is so clear that this is a corrupt and unjust system that is that is that is breaking these soldiers for no mm-hmm. kind of no reason, right? Or yeah. for like petty for petty um, sure. for petty social climbing uh, bureaucrats, jerks, right? Yeah. yeah. Why is there doubt in this story? Why is Martin actually a coward in this story? I think, um, and you could argue uh, like is not wanting yeah. to take human life really cowardice. But like, why does he do the crime? Why does he, without a shadow of the doubt, do the crime that he is that they yeah, yeah, yeah. say no, he no, I, right, right. I mean, because even if he was a committed proponent of nonviolence, he still doesn't even alert the truth. He's too much. He's, he's too whatever. You know, he can't even blow the whistle. I, I believe. Right? Like, I believe the term that you're searching for is yellow. Yeah, he's too yellow to to even blow the whistle. And he's also drinking booze all the time out of that flask his dad gave him, which is not a good look when you're responsible yeah. for other people's lives. Yes, correct. Not, not not a good decision. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like why why is it not? I don't know. I mean, I think that it would be a different, maybe differently nuanced show. I'm imagining a, a version where the men think he's yellow because he, you know, spares the life or like does something good or, or just is that he's like, or just like nepotism. At least that would also maybe yeah. explain why his dad feels like he has to go at him so hard. Like, but I think part of it is because the lieutenant is only kind of the tragic hero because the general also has a tragic situation where he's caught in this again in the impossible gears of a situation where his son. Who maybe never quite who was who has always been a bit of a Bobby Hill. Let's be honest, uh, <laughs> never didn't quite doesn't it was was you know tested in the furnace of war and found wanting, and despite him trying to trying to do the right thing by his son, his son still can't can't measure up and so must die, and the part of and 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 the gears of military justice are grinding up his son, just like the men who are swarming like ants are ground up in the war. So I think it's maybe like that. Is it maybe like that? I also think they do it to give, to let the dad a little off the hook. Right. Yeah. To yeah. be like, he's just doing his job, man. Like, like the, the, the biggest difference between Paths of Glory and this story is that the generals in Paths of Glory are like no doubt corrupt like yeah. very very bad people, and I think that we're supposed to have a little bit of ambiguity 
or like almost see uh, the general in this as like um, kind of a curtsy in figure where he has been corrupted by the situation. He he didn't bring the corrupting force. The corrupting force was brought to him, which makes mm-hmm. it feel a little bit Vietnamy to me. Yeah, could you imagine something like Paths of Glory being made with like modern American military? Would we allow ourselves? Hell the, no. The imagination space to be like these. Guys, Hell no. You know, there are all kinds of books about them being careerists and everything, but. It doesn't quite, I mean, even like Generation Kill, which I think is a little bit critical. It most, it's still mostly just like, yeah, the generals, they just care about numbers and they're, they, they don't, they don't know what we're doing down here. It's sort of, they're, they're just rem, kind of like remote corporatist figures, not, because I mean, isn't, it's been a while since I saw Paths of Glory. Um, isn't there a point at the end where Drax kind of brings down um, at least one of the bad generals? So the Tony. And then is, the toady yeah. general, the, the, so the puppet strings pulling general um, is not the one who decides that the men need to be uh, need to be fired. So the first tr- troop A goes out and gets right. shot up and most of them die. And then troop B is the one that we're like, we're not going out there. It's a suicide mission. And mm-hmm. the toady general puffs up his chest and is like, you guys are going over there. Or we're going to shoot you. Like, you right. have to go out there. And so... At the end, Puppet Strings General, who arranged all of this, right, like is Uh is just as equally culpable, is basically like, I'm going to let you swing, little toady general, because you were Mm going to shoot your own men. And who does that? Like, that's bad. And he (laughs) and he leaves and it's revealed that Puppet Strings General thinks that Dax, like, defended these men and like set all this up so that he could take that general's job to make him look bad. Yeah, I thought thought there's like this weird, like deal with the devil thing where they're kind there's of like, like a, there's 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 like a, oh that was pretty smart of you to pretend you cared would you yep. like to would you like a promotion yep. there's a part. there's a george yeah. bailey mr potter spin little spider speech that that happens yeah. yes yes absolutely <laughs> um <laughs> between between dax and the the mean the bad general the the main bad general <laughs> the mean general the meanest of mean generals um but then, of yeah. course, it's also to show that there's also no, like, there's no um, camaraderie between these, the generals either. Like, they're willing to let each other swing, oh, sure. too. Yeah, yeah, like, so it's yeah. like a double, like, they're, they're that yeah. bad. Doubly awful. No, I don't think that we would have that again. I think that we feel much safer. And and I, I, I do this, too, where I'm like, oh, you know, like, yeah, people are racism, but also systemic racism. is like, way bigger deal. Um, uh-huh. I think that we more <laughs> want to, like, go hard, like the like the uh, military industrial complex of it all and be like, it's mm-hmm. just like a way for people to make money and like sure. want to, like, blame the system. But like at some point we have to we have to put someone's boots to the fire. Like who sure. are yeah. like like, you know, to quote Mrs. Love, like the Sweeney Todd, there's a there's a there's a if there's a boot in your face, there's a foot in that boot somewhere. Like, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, no, I think I think you're right. We it's it's weird. We like we, we, we are quite cynical about the like very, very zoomed out picture. But as it gets more and more zoomed in that it, it's it's surely a reaction to Vietnam where it's kind of like, no, 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 no. The war is bad. The soldiers are good. The soldiers are good. The troops are good. And yep. then it kind of becomes the general. But then it bleeds into like the CIA agents are good. The the military, the civilian military contractors are good. Yeah. Um, and then, I, so then it just becomes this like nebulous, like the war is bad, but like humans aren't bad. Humans are all good. I also wonder if that has like a little bit of us projecting as people who are attempting to live 
in a post-capitalistic society where it's like, well, maybe the people I work for aren't good, but I'm good. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, like maybe I know that I know that my wealth, like that I am wealthier than my neighbors, and that's not fair. Or that's not good. But I'm still good. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a cog. Everyone wants to just be a cog in a big machine. I was just following orders. Words that nobody who has ever done anything wrong has ever said. Correct. Or like, you'd be like, well, you know, like my elected official, I, I, uh, he's not doing anything I want him to do, but I believe he's a good guy. Like, what what a cool guy. Like, Just get out there and vote. Vote, citizen, vote. Yeah. All the American, all the American electorate knows is... Get tear gassed, beat with beaten with stick, vote and die. Eat a hot chip and die. Eat hit, eat hot chip and die. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think that I think that the coward to to kind of like wrap yeah, up. Yeah. I think that the cowardice element of this and like the fact that it's very true that Martin is a coward and like does mm-hmm. cause other people to die has yeah. to do with um, with. With allow, kind of allowing the general to be a little bit more of a sympathetic character, which sure. feels, yeah. which which makes this like, which makes sense considering this is made in like you know the early nineties. So yeah. we're still we're still reckoning with with Vietnam, right? So I think that yeah. that's where that comes in. And actually, like like a movie that uh, doing a different kind of movie where where it's about this this general who is maybe like completely concerned with appearances and is willing to basically falsely throw his son onto the fire for his own career ambitions or to not be disgraced in front of the men would be a kind of a rad story. That's just a different rad story. <laughs> yeah, that feels very Catch-22 to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Catch-22 also deals in those kinds of those kinds of issues. Can you imagine Can you imagine if Heller, like, wrote a book about Vietnam? Like, what would that... <laughs> oh my God. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. think about, like, that World War II, you know, but and still it's, like, giant, giant mess. What what happens if it's what if he saw worse? Although you know, again, we already said all the wars were bad anyway, so probably it would be just the same. Yeah, I'm, they they all do have their different. I mean, it kind of depends on where we are culturally. I don't, they probably would be yeah, a little sure. bit different, but yeah, yeah sure, sure. I, I think the atrocities of war have always been the same. I think that sure. how we deal with it and the people we send to war and all those things do change, and that does make it all. And that, my friend, makes all the difference. <laughs> um, so we've alluded to this. So this is so. Why is this a, such a long episode of Tales? Yeah, from yeah the this Crypt? is weird. This is in fact not really a Tales from the Crypt episode. It's not. It's sort of sad. So there is this three-part TV anthology movie made called Two Fisted Tales, which like now that I've like been like digging around in this and like finding out mm-hmm. like what makes like Zemeckis tick, I'm like, of course they tried to do this. Of course, yeah, they yeah, did. of course, yeah. This is like which um. I think we talked about this one of the times we talked about Bill Sadler, but he was yeah. like Bill Sadler was like essentially the crypt keeper for this. He was this like ghostly gunfighter named Mr. Rush. Sounds and sounds so good. <laughs> it sounds pretty great. And he was like the host and he would like come in, but apparently like nobody I mean it released as two fisted tales. Mm-hmm. Um, but like nobody really cared about it or watched it. And so to sort of like save its bacon, since obviously this is not a cheap thing to do. They chopped those three pieces up, and we will see, I think, all three pieces of it. Yeah, yeah, they, they all make it in. Right, and I think that the next two, the, the the last two are in the upcoming season four. 
So they, they did this as, like, the season finale and then move forward, which is really funny to think about for, like, a TV show. Like, can you imagine, now the way the TV shows are done, can you imagine if someone was like, yeah, your finale, um, no, you don't get to do it. Uh, we're just going to stick this, like, weird little thing in as your we finale. Yeah, I mean, I mean, actually, what would happen is this thing would just be like released directly to Netflix or something. Yeah, they just shop right it around. To streaming. For, they'd shop it around forever until they got there. They got their pound of flesh. Yeah. The so was this? Do do you know? Um, I don't. Um, was this supposed to be like a backdoor pilot? Was this? I mean, was was the plan to try to do like what if Tales from the Crypt, but with manly like sort of a war comics or yeah, like, like a, what? What if it was war comics and cowboy comics? Yeah. 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 I, I, I think so, maybe. Um, it definitely was, like, put together as a movie. It was shown as, like, one big piece. I got you. Sure, sure, sure. I yeah. don't know, I don't know, like, if that was something that was, like, done, if these were, like, pilots that were shot, and then... It seems unlikely since they're not all the same length. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just wondering if the, the idea was, this like, is the if longest the movie... One. If, if the movie is, if the movie does well, will we make a TV series? I mean... Yeah, probably. But like, like definitely. I mean, like, uh, I know that Brad Pitt is in one of the other. Like, I think he's in the King yeah. of the Road yeah, episode. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's coming up. Like, so I think this was probably seen as sort of like a a favor to Tales from the Crypt, which was like, you know, we've shot these right. like glossy. I mean, this looks way better than most yeah. episodes and, of and, Tales from the Crypt. And actually, yeah, we haven't we didn't even talk about it. But I think the 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 sort of introductory sequence before we know any of the characters and just sort of Sergeant Ripper making his way across this World War One battlefield is. It's 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 beautiful and brutal and like the guy he keeps looking for the lieutenant and he and the people he finds keep being dead bodies and then the guy points and his fing- and his arm gets blown off and it's uh it's crazy I mean it's yeah it's not it's not like Saving Private Ryan where you where where it apparently can credibly like you know trigger things in people who have seen it it's not like that brutal or anything but it is it you could definitely are like whoa this is this is definitely a movie there are more than ten people on the screen. <laughs> Mm. Mm. Yeah. Crazy. But what, what is it about men of, I feel like, what is it men in Hollywood of a certain age at basically being like, but what about Indiana Jones? <laughs> Can we make Indiana Jones happen? Yeah. No, I, I it, it does make me feel a little bit sad um, that, uh, <laughs> that there wasn't just like a, basically Indiana Jones that is Tales from the Crypt. I would have watched yeah, this. Yeah. Although this Tales- feels a, a little bit different. But yeah, what's, tales uh, from the Indiana Jones. <laughs> and I don't know. I don't know if this is true just because of how it shook out and it got added to Tales and Crypt. So they were like, of course it is. I mean, like to me, two fisted tales implies that it's going to be. Yeah. Like cowboys, gunslingers. we got this ghostly gunfighter. So there, there is like a little bit of like magic and horror, I guess. But they say it's yeah. a horror anthology. So, and this story is tragic, but I don't know if I consider it necessarily horrific. What do you think we're supposed to find horrific about this story? Yeah, no, 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 it's not. Or at least when you think about the comic book roots for it. Like, it, I mean, right, like a father having to watch his son executed by firing squad is horrific, mm-hmm. you know, in the tri- what Having men step on landmines and like blown into pools, um, you know, your guy points in his hand, he's up like, by, you know, by any standard, of course, war is a horror. It, war is changed yeah. with joseph the conrad stuff. the horror the horror yes right 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 but no this doesn't really feel like a horror this is kind of one of those like maybe communicating with the sort of like you know in a much more serious and po-faced way sort of the catch-22 the like people at war war puts you in situations that are utterly impossible to navigate in a moral and correct fashion it's sort of that sort of thing um this totally does seem to be like it would be a war comic um 
you know, it, I, I, I don't know that it is based explicitly on a comic book, but it, 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 it feels like it is of that genre. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't think this isn't a horror. Yeah. Um, you know, like, like you could kind of just gussy this up a little bit and probably that would just be mostly marketing. This could be a drama, you know, this is about, this yeah. is about the ultimate family. You know, what would you, you know, it's kind of like, what, what do you do when your son does a crime? Do you help him or do you, are you on the side of justice? Yeah, you know, no, no, right. you could definitely, you could definitely kind of push this in sort of like a thorn birds direction for sure. <laughs> um, the general says anybody who's a coward will be shot. And then the only person who's a coward is his son, is I'm his f- own son. Come to find out. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, like, it's like the horror, like, I, I keep referencing Joseph Conrad, but the horror in Joseph Conrad. <laughs> the horror, the, the horror. The horror, the horror is, like, the, the heart of darkness that lives within all of us. That is mm-hmm. the fact that we profit from other people's pain, right? So, yeah. like, the general's priorities have been so, and humanity has been so warped by war that he would rather put his son to death to save his own face and his own reputation than, you know, kind of like bow to more typical um, moral moral codes, which are to protect the ones you love, right? But but again, also, like, it is weird that we're in a situation where what we basically see is that his lack of nepotism is maybe bad. <laughs> because, right. again, again, what his son did, at least within, I, you know, I'm not an expert on world war one military law or anything but it kind of seems like based on what we're given to understand is like if anybody else did this they also would be put to death right it's so not, it just seems like he's almost just like i, I yeah, you know you I, will, am, I, am I am fair I'm trapped i am I trapped am f- i am fair but you, which will make you not like me but yeah. yeah right yeah yeah such as my such as my devotion to the new fan my new family which is the military that the my actual you know i think it might just be so complicated that so I don't really, to me, this does feel a little bit like three pounds of sausage in a five pound bag. Like <laughs> there's really, I mean, this is like, it's 40 minutes. This is double the length of an average Tales from the Crypt and not that much happens. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little bit overinflated. Um, there are, the general and his son have kind of the same conversation a couple times. <laughs> you could start this from the scenes in the trenches Mm-hmm. And, like, you don't actually need the thing. Like, I thought that the whole, and I left it out of my recap for that reason. Um, I thought the whole thing where he's like, Dad, I don't want to be in the military anymore. And he's like, well, son, you got to do just this one more. You got to go on one more mission. Well, you got to do one more big score and then you yep. can retire. Yeah. But you can yep. but you can do it from the boat. You can do it from yeah. the rear. Like, yeah. it's just, like, weird. It's yeah, just, like, weird. I mean, you, you don't need, don't need the- any of that. The, the beautiful, I mean, the beautiful and horrible introductory scene with all the great practical effects and everything, you don't really need that. Although, all you would have to show is that his son is a coward there, and then that it screws up the offensive, and yeah. then it... Or, you, could, you could just yeah. make that communication mission be the big... Like, you could like yeah. end at that. And actually, it might be kind of nice if you had some ambiguity of whether, of, like, whether or not he is a coward, you know? Right, yeah. That might make right. this stronger. So I think this could fit in 20 minutes easily. Yeah, I think so, too. I think so, too. And I think it would be a little bit snappier. <laughs> Anytime Dan Aykroyd talks could just be cut out. Can just go. Yep. It is fun. Okay, it is fun at the end, though, to watch Dan Aykroyd swan around with a sword and give orders to a firing squad. Um, yeah, you know, it, what What it made me realize, he does that thing, right, where he's got that sword and he's, like, swatting around and he has to do that little march and then... 
he gets to the end of his marching and he needs to turn around, you mm-hmm. know, and yeah. the way he turns around is like is like a, what I would refer to like a, like a modern dance jazz step version of like how a military like if, <laughs> like it's very dancey and I I laughed at when it happened. <laughs> I would recommend going back and checking that out. Like there's just like a little bit too much of a kick and a fi- a flick of the ankle. It's really it's really wild. I bet I bet that was done completely in earnest, but I also bet if there was director's comment, if there was like actor's commentary and he was on there and somebody pointed out, he'd be like, no, that was on purpose. I was uh, I was doing comedy there. Yeah, I was trying to like add a little bit of levity, but like levity. We're about to shoot this guy to death, but I thought maybe a little kick heel turn would be good. Yeah, but like I've seen Blues Brothers. I know that that's how he dances. I mean, come on. (laughs) What if? <laughs> the, the original credits were not the normal closing theme, but instead Dan Aykroyd in World War One military dress singing Rubber Biscuit. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that would be great. He's oh, like doing rico- that. Oh, ricochet he's, firing squad. He's doing that move where he like where he like jump ropes over his own gun. Yeah, not- <laughs> yeah, that would be great. That would be great. Um, yeah. I only have one other thing, which is uh, I really love. Like the, to me, the best scene, the best part of this, I like the scene where um, I like the scene you're talking about, where like you're seeing the 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 battlefield, and then I like the scene when Martin is like saying his last words and he quotes Julius Caesar. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. And like kind of like the added richness there of Julius Caesar also being a great general, who mm-hmm. the people decided weren't wasn't serving them the way they wish to so he's killed by his friends so it has like a mm-hmm. that dialogue of betrayal at the end i think yeah. is really solid especially since at that point you think that mart i mean like this is a show and you kind of get mm-hmm. the sense that or i don't know how you read that scene but i kind of got the sense that like martin is like all right dad i'll give you a good show like yeah yeah and, and is is like sort of mocking him his mm-hmm. father in that moment yes. yeah yes. um which makes the betrayal that much worse. Yeah. Well, yeah, but but yeah, it's also like cuz cuz this is also the kind of mo- the kind of uh the kind of culture where he thinks that he's doing his son a favor because certainly it helps him look good if his son dies well, but it makes his son look good if he dies well and they're in exactly the kind of like macho thing where like that is important it is important to not die a coward like admitting that you're afraid of death who does that right well i also love like when you see him die you're like that plan the plan that his dad suggested would definitely not have worked so like you fire there's all this smoke and then a non-bleeding man falls into a pit like right right yeah it's like so here's the deal you're you're gonna get buried alive son how good are you at digging how long can you hold your breath I or like, like or like, son, do you have access to a squib? You're gonna need a squib for this. <laughs> I do like that. Uh, that we, we, we throughout the throughout the episode, we see him kind of drinking and looking at his uh, flask, which we realize he's reading the message from his father. Which I, I the first time I watched it, I just thought he was like doing it was just like normal, like you know, drunky kind of behavior where he's just like drinking. And he's like kind of looking at his flask, but you realize he's actually reading the message about being being brave from his dad while he's doing all this stuff, which is kind of ghoulish. Yeah. For real. Yeah, I did. I did like that, that uh, device that was clever, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, yeah, I agree with you. This could have been cut down, but it's pretty good. Um, I, yeah. Oh, 
the I kind of even though you know that they were not never part of the original plan. The the bumpers with <laughs> the, the bumpers Crypt Keeper are fun. <laughs> um, he he looks he looks pretty great in a little World War One helmet. <laughs> he looks and so it, good in a World War One helmet. <laughs> Although I will say, so like the, like it's like kind of stirring as more media is, and then to come back to him and have him just be like punning around is like a little bit of a shock. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not great. Also, it does the same thing that the Crypt Keeper does that we've talked about before, the, like, scary suicide. We're like, he's a weird creep. He likes hurting himself. Yeah, does the Crypt Keeper like like trying to kill himself? Yeah, but where he, his his weird firing squad machine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. it kind of took a little bit of the piss out of that episode. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's just like, oh, okay. Um, We have a solemn meditation on duty cowardice in the inhumanity of war and then and then the crypt keeper shows up and pulls a lever that shoots him with four rifles and don't, laughs don't worry, don't worry we're about to see a, we're about to see a uh, a, mu- a leather muppet completely a, a leather muppet ineffectually that. commit suicide in a gleeful <laughs> yeah, way don't worry about it yeah 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 for sure <laughs> um all right so what did you what did you rate this sucker so i actually like i said i thought this one was pretty good for all of its um for any criticisms we may have. So I gave this one, um, I think it's better than average um, and all this kind of stuff. I gave it three and a half dead doughboys. Three and a half dead doughboys. I like it. Okay, so I I had like kind of a weird struggle with the rating. Mm-hmm. I do think it is a mark against this episode that it is sort of jammed into Tales from the Crypt for kind of no reason, except for Robert Zemeckis. Yeah, sure. Right, right, yeah. So I think that I would have also given it, just as a piece of media, three three out of five. Like, Uh I think it's pretty good. It's, like, a little bit, it's a little bit indulgent, overinflated. mm. Sure, yeah, And I think some of the choices are strange. Um, But I I not... The kick-kill turn is great. The kick-kill turn is amazing. I... (laughs) He does like a shuffle ball change at the end. Um, so I knocked off half a point for it. So I gave sure. this a. So it, it. I don't like that it's not prototypical of Tales of the Crypt, but I do think it's better than average. So mm-hmm. it. I think it evens out to being like an average episode, as far as I'm concerned, and a two point mm-hmm. five out of five. Shakespearean awesome. quotes. Can you can you imagine any modern show having like we you gotta say this, but like. What a hilarious mess it is. It's just kind of like, yeah, there's like parts of movies in this series. You would never be like, you would never show somebody this and be like, no, this is Tales from the Crypt. No, this is, oh, this episode? Yeah, definitely not. And and you would never be like, this is how TV shows should be made. Like, I, do it this way. Sorry, I just had a thought. When this, is this ever broadcast? And if it is, do they cut it down? And if so... I think I would probably like to watch that cut, and I would probably like the cut more. Yeah, probably. I don't know. I mean, like, I must have just aired in its entirety. That's probably why they made it the finale. They're like, people accept this. I mean, maybe, or does it air in two parts? Like, because uh, Cutting Cars is, like, the shortest episode. I think it's, like, twenty exactly 20 minutes or like, yeah. 19 minutes and change or something. I don't know. I mean... The other what if it two... was a two-parter? It's like they, they're like, we will convene the military tribunal in the church, and I'm like, dun dun dun. Tune in next time to see what. Oh happens. yeah, oh man, and then the Jesus imagery that's in this that that also yeah. threw me a little bit for a loop. Like the father, <laughs> the father sacrificing his son, son? for the greater oh, yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's there too. Yeah, uh, that church is mega creepy. Yeah, it, it also actually... has the. 
And maybe just because of Kurt Douglas, a lot of these sets kind of reminded me of sword and sandal movies in that there's just like, and now we're in this weird catacomb. Where no, are no, we? It's Don't it's worry about it. It's because they're generally like beautiful and lush, but also clearly phony. Like yeah. they have that weird thi- that weird soundstage thing where you can tell that like what's outside is just more indoors. Right, right. It's, it, like it's, the lights. It, it's like you like yeah. stumbled into a Garden Ridge Pottery's uh, like flora, <laughs> flora section as the outside. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah, it's it's yeah. It it, it but it's but that's kind of fun because it feels very it feels a little bit old Hollywood. Yeah, and you got Kurt Douglas. Well, it's like feels yeah. right. Feels and good. and and the People's Choice Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, the most famous the not, a, the not at all, the not at all miscast. <laughs> the not at all, just like waste, waste of casting. <laughs> Poor Dan Aykroyd. Surely, did do you think he did this to like pay for some expensive ghost hunting equipment or something? Probably. I, do you wonder well, if he UFO, was like some you, rare UFO artifacts? Do you think he was like I'm gonna try? He's like this is gonna be my entrevue into dramatic roles. Maybe. Could have been. He doesn't have given enough to do. I realize I don't know when Nothing But Trouble came out. So I I don't know where this is vis-a-vis Nothing But Trouble. Oh. (laughs) Nothing But Trouble. Oh, my God. Anyway. It has no connection to the Tales for the Crypt universe except for this. But maybe we should watch that, too. Yeah. I could could talk about Nothing But Trouble for a long time. (laughs) I could talk time. about I could talk about the judge's nose for a long time. <laughs> I could talk about those weird white sausages that they eat for a long time. Um, oh, yeah, it's so gross. Like it's such an upsetting movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. So shaggier than normal outro. <laughs> yep. So, uh, but don't worry, because next time we're in for a bloody good time. Um, we're finishing out. Uh, you know, kind of taking a, a pause, a powder in between seasons. And we're going to treat ourselves to a little trip to the flicks to see the second official Tales from the Crypt movie, Bordello of Blood. And I'm sure it'll be really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As someone who pretends that he has not watched the movie multiple times. Um, thank you, listeners, for listening to a extra special extra sized episode of crypt creepers a little bit shaggier than normal um please check us out on apple podcast stitcher or the platform of your choice remember to subscribe rate review yeah if you so choose um shop us around tell your family tell your friends tell your son who you've condemned to death um be <laughs> sure to visit outrageousmechanisms.com slash crypt dash creepers to check out our shows and also uh, find some other good stuff from the outrageous mechanisms network um till next time kitties Lieutenant Calthrob took aim at greatness, and with a father of his caliber, it should have been easy. Too bad he was a bit gun-shy. Caused a bit of a career misfire. Guess he was just a dud. (laughs) (laughs) My son's a lemon. Get it? He's yellow. Outrageous?